The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. As IONS member listeners know, one benefit of IONS membership is the monthly cases of NDE experiences which are mailed to the members. Emailed to the members, I should say. Listeners also know I dive into these cases from time to time to give you a taste of the kinds of stories that are submitted by the experiencers and also to encourage any of, any of you NDEers who have not written up your experiences for IONS that you really should write down and submit these important memories to IONS. And send a copy to me as well if you'd like to tell your story right here on NDE Radio. The first story comes from July of 2017, the second from January of 2018, the third from March of 2016, and the last, if we get to it, from May of 2017. In this first account, a woman describes two low blood sugar events, both of which resulted in near-death experiences. In the first, she leaves her body and finds herself above a beautiful landscape, then heads toward a tree, but she's told she cannot go now. She experiences a struggle to get up and over the top of a mountain with her husband and two children, as well as voices assisting her in spirit. In the second episode, she meets three people, and feels incredible love, but is told to breathe, at which point she returns to her body. While she is out of her body, her fiancé wakes to find her body cold with labored breathing and walks her body around the room trying to wake her and get her to breathe again until finally she returns and breathes deeply. It's interesting that she can be outside her body even when it is still functioning, though in an impaired way. After these experiences, she feels certain she's being watched over and will be found and helped whenever her blood sugar is too low again. And here's her account. I was on my way home from work. It was a very hot day. I had never had low blood sugar before, so this was something new for me and my family. I got off the bus and was walking up the steps to my house. I thought I never made it into the house. To this day, I thought, I was outside because it was bright and warm and the sun was shining. I could hear a female voice leaning over me and calling my name and asking me if I was all right. When I would look up, I could see a profile of a face, but the face was different colors, bright colors. Today, I just now asked my sister if I was outside, and she told me I had come inside, and my father noticed I wasn't myself and called the ambulance. All this time, I thought I was outside because it was so real to me. To continue, when I woke up, I was in the intensive care emergency room. A nurse had just walked in and asked me how I was doing and if I wanted some orange juice. I told her, fine, and yes, I would. I remember lying there and closing my eyes. And the next thing I remember is sort of floating over this beautiful landscape of green, green grass and the most beautiful flowers I've ever seen in my life. The feeling around me was the most loving feeling, and the sun was shining so bright, but it was not hot. It was warm, just right, and I could see in the distance a tree, a large tree, and I remember I had to go toward it. As I was floating towards the tree, I could hear a voice say, You can't go now. I stopped and looked around, but 
I don't remember seeing anyone, but I felt someone. I remember saying, but not speaking, I don't want to leave. I could hear the voice in my head saying, Not now. Your children need you. Look up. I looked up, and I could see my two children and my husband reaching over a mountain trying to grab my hand. It seemed like I was at the bottom of this steep cliff. The voice told me to go, but don't let the hands touch me. At that moment, I began to rise up the side of the cliff. I then noticed hands started started to reach out of the cliff just as I was almost at the top. I could see my family reaching for me, and all of a sudden I felt as though I was pushed up and over, and I woke up. At the moment I woke up, the nurse was walking back into my room with my juice. At first I didn't realize what had happened, and I couldn't believe what had just happened, but I know it happened. I believed what happened. I felt it. I After this, I wasn't afraid of death. I didn't tell anyone what happened to me. I was I was afraid no one would believe me. It wasn't until I heard a little girl on a talk show talking about her near-death experience and what she saw. I told myself, if this child could see similar details to what I saw, then I was not alone. I then told my father what had happened to me that day. He then told me my mother, who had passed when I was 12 years old, had seen green, green grass and flowers, and he said she had told him about the same feelings, the warmth, the brightness, the love. He said she had told him uh, this before she died. Now, this is not the only time I've had a near-death experience. I had another one in 1998. I had another hypoglycemic experience, and this time I was with my fiancé at the house. He told me we were sleeping. He turned over and put his arm over me, and I was cold. He woke up and said I was not breathing right. He said he got me up and started walking with me and calling my name. He said all of a sudden I stopped breathing and he kept yelling for me to breathe, but I, I wouldn't. He said after a while I just all of a sudden took a deep breath and started to breathe. After that he called the ambulance. During all of this I remember lying on the bed and all of a sudden I was in this very bright place full of warmth and love. I was not alone. I could feel someone on both sides of me, and we were approaching this person with two other people on each side of them. I felt as though this person was both male and female. As I got closer, I could see white. The people on the sides were of great importance to the person in the middle, and there was love. The person in the middle had on a bright white robe, and I remember seeing gold ropes hanging from the waist of this person, but I could never see a face. As I approached and stood in front of this person, I felt incredible love. I did not want to leave, but I could hear this person say, Breathe. Just as this was said to me, I took a deep breath and woke up. After this experience, I've been less stressed about the future. I just live one day at a time. I've become more spiritual and more open with my daughters, too. After this, any time I've gotten sick, I know that I'm not alone. That some kind of way, uh, someone will know that I'm sick. Sometimes my daughter will hear someone or be wakened by someone or my fiancé will get the urge to call me at the moment I'm sick and will be able to call my daughter or the ambulance to help me. Sometimes my oldest daughter, who doesn't live here, calls and says she just had a feeling I was sick or she dreamed about me getting sick. 
So I know I'm never alone. I know I have angels and my mother watching over me. And there ends our first report. Now in this account, a young woman almost dies following a cesarean section due to bleeding. She shares what it was like to die and what she saw and heard before she came back into her body, full of pain. Although her stay was short, she heard from her friend's deceased mother and saw a butterfly. She recognized the, the mother only from her voice, since she looked like a big ball of light. The mother gave her a message for her own daughters. After this young woman returned, she was told she was very lucky, but it was hard to be back because people didn't understand or believe her. She began looking for answers, and the information she discovered on the IONS website made it easier for her to adjust. February 8th, 2017, I was admitted to a hospital in Detroit for a subchlorionic hematoma, SCH, which is a blood clot attached to the placenta. I was 24 weeks pregnant during my fourth pregnancy and was in preterm labor due to the SCH. It can be life-threatening and uh, for both mother and baby if they don't catch the bleeding and stop it during birth. I was in labor and delivery maternity floor for almost a month to be monitored and on complete bed rest until the baby arrived. I was in full labor every day until my delivery on March 7th via uh, emergency C-section. My SCH burst, and I was losing amniotic fluid so my daughter would have to be born early, 29 weeks along. I was taken to the operating room and given a spinal. Then they started to deliver my daughter. She arrived with a big cry and was whisked away quickly to the NICU. Uh, she survived and is doing well. And this is where it goes bad. I had massive bleeding, and the placenta shredded and tore my uterine wall. I remember two nurses counting sponges and repeating the number back and forth. I remember another nurse telling me to breathe and asking if I was okay. I remember looking over at my husband and thinking, this is taking forever. Why is this taking so long? At this point, I lost track of the sponge count after being over 50. I heard the nurse tell my husband that he should come wait in the waiting room and help head up to see our daughter since it would be a while. He resisted a bit, but held my hand, and we both said, I love you. And as he walked out the door, I thought to myself, why does this feel like last time I will ever say those words to him? As the door shut and he walked out, I began to feel my breathing slow down. I told myself to keep breathing, concentrate on the nurse's voice. I began to feel like I was fading away. I could hear my heart and my ears I started to feel lightheaded, but still conscious to everything around me. And then silence. No heartbeat, just a loud buzz like the heart monitor sound when it goes flat. I looked all around and saw below that it was me on that table. I saw them doing what the doctor called a whip stitch, and she was moving quickly as nurses were shoving more sponges at the doctor connected to long metal instruments. I remember feeling pulled away, but hearing the nurse say, stay with me, hon, you're okay, hon, are you okay? And then white light hit me so hard on my face, 
a warmth I have never felt, like a big fuzzy blanket of heat. I remember feeling immense love all around me, pure love. I can't even describe this light and love. I basked in this warmth and love for what seemed like forever. I couldn't get enough of it. Then a single butterfly flew into the light. Just one. Then a voice from the warm light said, I know it is beautiful here, but you can't stay. I know you want to, but you can't. I recognized the voice as my best friend's mom, who passed away in October 2015. I was there by her side when she passed and asked her to put in a good word for us to have a daughter. In parentheses, she writes, we did. She was talking to me, and the words were just coming from this big ball of light. No face, just her voice was familiar to me. She continued saying, please go back. Your boys need you. Your husband needs you, and that beautiful baby girl needs her mama. Say hi to my girls. Give them a hug and kiss for me. Tell them I miss them so much, but I am okay, and they will be too. I remember thinking, but this is so beautiful, the light, the warmth, the beauty within the light and love and was more than earth could ever be. I didn't want to go back, but as I was thinking this, I felt like I was being sucked back into the darkness, like a backwards motion of being sucked back into my body. I woke up with this calm feeling that I was going to live and get through this. I remember feeling pain again when I was awake after my experience. I'd never felt so much pain in my life. It was excruciating. It was the anesthesia wearing off, and they were still working on me. I asked the nurse if she had put me under, and I was coming out of the anesthesia, and she said, No, honey, you just have the spinal. We can't put you under right now. We need you aware and awake. We almost lost you. Then I told her I felt like I was going to pass out from the pain. I woke up in recovery, surrounded by my family, and thought I had died again, but I I was just extremely exhausted from everything and, and the pain. The nurse said several times that I was pinching her thumb and pointer finger as close together as possible without touching this close to having a hysterectomy because they could not manage to get all of the bleeding under control. She said I was one of the very lucky ones to make it out of that type of major bleed without dying, but I was close. I asked her how close, and she replied, If I were you, I would get my medical records because your heart stopped for a minute there, but but we got you back. This is the first time I've ever written my story. I've told only a handful of people because I can't even process everything a year later without feeling overwhelmed. I've started to withdraw, become angry at myself or friends and family for not understanding what happened. At first, I was such a different person. I looked at life so differently. But then I felt like this life on earth was so dark and sad and that nothing would be like the pure love and warmth and light I felt when I was in it. I was medicated with Xanax for PTSD and medical trauma, but I didn't want to be on brain-altering medication. I'm just now starting to seek out answers and finding this IONS webpage helped me a lot. Some days I remember more than I had forgotten, but the main parts I wrote about uh, above stand out very uh, every single time I close my eyes. 
I'm so glad I'm here to watch my babies grow up and spend more time with my husband and family and friends. I'm more involved in my kids' lives instead of always working. I help bring supply bags to the NICU for families. I try to be a better person because that is what is important in life. Really nice story. Well, our third account describes the drowning of an eight-year-old. Although the experience uh, faded from her memory, it was recalled later, at which time she realized that it had influenced many aspects of her life. When this happened to her, she had not heard anyone speak of such things, so she kept it to herself. Fortunately, today, more and more people are hearing of near-death experiences and don't have to spend years wondering if they are the only ones to have had one. Whether we remember them or not, they may influence our lives in many ways. She writes, I was eight years old attending a sleepaway camp in Sag Harbor, Long Island, New York. This was in 1986. We were at the public beach and there was a strong riptide. A wave knocked me down and before I could get up, another wave dragged me into the ocean. It felt as though the ocean gripped me by the ankles and thrashed me on the ocean floor. It got to the point where I needed to take a breath, but couldn't reach the surface for fresh air. Having played who could hold your breath the longest in the tub with my older brother, I was familiar with my threshold for going breathless. It was only a few moments of agonizing for my next breath when all sensations in my body ceased. This is where it becomes difficult to describe because I entered a realm beyond the matrix of time and space, a realm so unearthly that our conjured language is inept to describe it. A narrative almost by definition exists in some sort of chronology, though my experience defies time, hence the difficulty in explaining, regardless, I will try. When my bodily sensations ceased, my consciousness remained fully intact. I could only describe the feeling as floating, peaceful, euphoria. I was gravitating toward an incredibly bright light, brighter than the sun, brighter than the naked eye could perceive to human eyes. The, the light would be blinding. There was also a sensation of warmth and love, a sensation of connection so deep and peaceful. The only loose analogy I could make is perhaps the feeling of being a suckling infant in the warm embrace of your mother. While I am floating in this experience of nirvana, it occurs to me, wait a minute, I don't have to breathe anymore. I know I know humans need to breathe to live, so is this death? Oh my God, this is death. Wow. But I think we both know there is more work that I need to do in this incarnation. I, I feel as though I'm having this conversation with a higher entity, a, a loving judge. And then she writes the source in quotes. Yes, there's more for me to experience, more work to do. No, I, I don't want to die now. Though I made this decision, I also knew at the same time that I was completely at the mercy of this greater entity as to which way my fate would lie. As I was coming to the conclusion that I wanted to go back, the bright light seamlessly transitions to having a lot of bluish-green movement as it turns into the sunlight streaming through the ocean water. I was rising to the surface and my consciousness broke. The next thing I know, I'm on the beach. The ocean spit me back out several hundred feet from where I was on the shore when I got dragged in. 
Strangely, I was already resuscitated. I was not rescued by anyone. My face was stinging badly from being dragged on the sandy ocean floor. I walked back to the group, and the first person I recognized halfway through the walk, I asked if my face was scratched up. She replied, no, said nothing more. And then it occurred to me no one had even noticed what had happened. This lack of validation was a very hard pill to swallow. I just had the most intense experience of my life, and I didn't have anyone to help corroborate the experience. And since it was uh, of such an otherworldly nature and something I hadn't heard anyone speak of, I did not feel safe sharing my experience with anyone. I went back to my towel and hadn't told a soul for many years. Almost ten years later, while under the influence of psychedelic mushrooms, I recalled my near-death experience, for which I had only recently discovered the name, and that there were others who had had similar experiences, and realized the tremendous impact it had on my life, my sense of spirituality, my interest in exploring different states of consciousness, my reverence for nature, my passion for environmental and social justice, just about everything. It felt as though it completely marked the trajectory of my life. And I particularly like this story myself because it very closely parallels my own NDE when I was the same age. All right, our final story. hope we get through it. This account is a near-death-like experience since the person was not in a life-threatening situation at the time it occurred, although their body was cold when they returned to it. The characteristics of the light here are consistent with many NDE reports. This account includes an interesting point about the light always being there, whether we notice it or not. Uh, let me correct that. This account includes an interesting point about the light always being here, here, whether we notice it or not. The whole experience seems to have taken place without leaving the earth plane, and the barrier beyond which one could not return was simply the donning of a sash. This account speaks of multiple lifetimes and their purpose. Finally, it seems to refer to our immortal souls as having free will. And the experiencer writes, I was asleep alone in a condo in Hawaii. I heard my name being softly but urgently called over and over. Half asleep, I turned over to see what was going on, and there, just above the bedroom dresser, was the light. It was incredibly bright, but at the same time, impossibly tiny, as if it was shining from light years away, or peeking through from another dimension. My soul instantly recognized it, and a burst, and in a burst of pure ecstasy, leaped out of my body and into it. The light was... All hidden knowledge revealed, all hurt healed, all longings granted, and an endless reservoir of love, patience, humor, tenderness, power, and understanding. It pulled away from me and then led me through the walls of the condo into the garden, which transformed into a glorious temple. I understood then that a temple was what it had been all this time, only I hadn't been able to see it. I was also made aware that the light is all around us, all the time. But like the 15 pounds per square body inch of pressure that the atmosphere exerts upon us at sea level, 
Its presence is so common and so constant, we can't see it anymore. It hides in plain sight. There were people in the garden's temple. I couldn't say how many, more than two, but less than 40 is the best estimate I can give. They told me how much they had missed me and led me to a spring of clear water flowing through the center of the temple. They bathed me in this water and dressed me in the same flowing all-color garments that they wore except for a sash around the waist. They explained that if I put on the sash, I could not return and I must return. There were things I must do, but first there were things I needed to remember. This was the thread that ran through the entire episode. Remember, none of us are new to this plane of existence. I was taken to an ornate chair upon which rested an enormous book. One of the men opened it and pointed to a page. Each page was a separate life. Each page flowed into the next more like a video than a book. What I was shown was specific to me and was not something that I share with others. However, my guides explained to me that for everyone, life could be considered a various, very serious game. I can only describe it as an eternal game of shoots and ladders. We are free to pull one another up or push one another down, and each choice we make in our lives acts to secure a particular place on the game board. Less flippantly, we are reborn again and again to experience all that there is to experience both good and bad, including love and hate, tenderness, abuse, murder, suicide, birth, and death. This is so we may ultimately return not just to become one in understanding with the light, but to become a light ourselves. I was led back to my body and told I should return. This, I understood, was a, a choice I actively had to make. It could not be forced upon me. At the same time, I realized that everything in the universe is the sole possession of deity, except for one's immortal soul. When I returned, I felt paralyzed and could not move for roughly half an hour, and I was as cold as if I'd awakened in a snowbank. And that's where that story ends. And I was thinking, since I'd read that story about the little girl, and um, uh, I didn't really... And I said it was uh, very parallel to my own story. I thought, maybe, well, maybe I'll tell my story again. It wouldn't be the first time I've mentioned it. I was uh, seven years old. I was on the uh, at our family cottage, which is on a little island on a little lake in New Jersey. And I waded out too far. At that age, I should have known how to swim, but I, I certainly didn't. And uh, when the when the gradual slope suddenly fell off I was under water and going down I came up once and I screamed my mother had just gone into the cottage and uh, and uh, but fortunately she heard me and uh, then when I screamed all the air was out of my lungs and I was sinking down but suddenly I found myself up in a birch tree watching as my mother came running out of the cottage ran down to the shore. She knew approximately where I'd been, and she dove in, and uh, she found me. 
dragged me out. Uh, I'm watching all of this from up in the birch tree. And she threw me face down over a log and more or less invented CPR because uh, as she was pressing on my, my back, she said, told me later, trying to get the water out of my lungs, um, she, uh, she, the, the log underneath me was actually doing chest compressions just as you do in doing CPR. And uh, I saw off on up to my uh, right that there was a place I could go, a light in the distance. I didn't see any angels or other beings around me, and I saw how upset my mother was, so I figured I'd better get back in my body, um, which I did, which was very painful um, because of the uh, <laughs> of what I'd just gone through. And uh, like uh, many others, I had uh, not for years told this story to anybody. Uh, didn't even tell it to my mother, who's quite religious and I think would have believed it in, in an instant. But interestingly, I think I felt that uh, having been to Sunday school and believing that when we die, we go to the other side, it d- didn't seem unnatural to me. It seemed like a very perf- uh, 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 I want to say a perfect way to, uh, to die, but it's the only way to die. And uh, so... But for years, I will mention that I had this dream about sinking down, uh, and I thought it was sinking down in the water into this uh, blue-gray mist. And uh, when I went back at 21, dove into the lake just to see if that's what it looks like when you're down under the water, the sun on the surface of the water spread evenly, and it wasn't dark, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't a pinpoint focus of light as I'd remembered it. And so I assume that that was just a uh, uh, memory of falling back down out of um, out of the light and into my body once again. Well, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear this program again or any of our more than 240 programs to date, go to our website at nderadio.org. For more information about IONS and the upcoming Labor Day weekend annual conference, Go to their website at iands.org and be with us again next week, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.